0: Every Wednesday in Sound of Play, we bring you some of our and your favorite pieces from the many video game soundtracks we've enjoyed over the decades. And joining me, Leon Cox, in Sound of Play 285 is from Kane and and the Video Wizards podcast. It's Mikhail Croder. Hi, Leon. Hi, listeners. Hi, hi. Welcome back to Sound of Play. Thank you. I can't, can't remember how long it's been, it's always been a while.
1: A year, I think.
0: <laughs> No.
1: Yeah, the last show I did was with, <laughs> uh, with with Jay together.
2: Huh. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Well, as we all know, time has gone particularly strange. Mm. But even, even at the best of times, uh, the older you get, the more time flies by. And before you know it, you're talking about things that happened longer ago than you think. Yeah. Anyway, we open the show to the dramatic pulsing thrum of some music from the mighty Gradius 5. Yeah, and um, I almost thought you said traumatic. Traumatic? Well, it can be. <laughs> uh, you've been playing this game on our video channel yeah. for quite some time, before even we did our podcast on the Gradius series, which is feels like a while ago now.
1: Yeah. At first, I cleared the uh, Gradius
0: on the NES. Yes. And I thought, like, let's oh. not let, let that go un- uh unacknowledged, unacknowledged. What an accomplishment yeah
1: yeah, and then I thought like hey that sounds uh, that seems like I'm ready for Gradius five yeah. yeah, maybe a bit of a little bit a bit a bit of a bit more than I could chew
0: but it's still uh a much more realistic proposition than Gradius three
1: yeah, well, that's the thing right i uh I thought like if it's uh if it's not as difficult as Gradius three, I can with enough dedication, I could probably do it uh um, no. But it's kind of... of difficult. It's almost as difficult as Gradius 3, I would say, just in a little bit of a different way.
0: Right. A more fair and just Definitely way. more
1: fair, but it's also a much longer game. And yeah. Gradius 3 is already quite long for arcade um yeah. standards. But Gradius 5 is a console shooter and one loop takes up about 1 hour. Yeah. And I think the second to last time that I streamed it, I did a full credit feed run because I wanted to unlock the better weapons. So I thought yes. that could make a difference, maybe. But then I was confronted with just how daunting this game really is. Because when you're yeah, just yeah. practicing <laughs> the first three stages, you know, you, you make a little bit of progress. You think, in in due time, I will get through this. But there's just a lot of memorization to do it's almost art type like the game is Mm -hmm. in the sense that there are very specific spots that you shouldn't be in if you don't want to die in in a lot of the stages and there's a lot of areas in the game where there's very little screen real estate and you uh, yeah yeah, you have to stick to very uh road path paths Yeah. yeah
0: yeah that's not always necessarily my favorite way to play but one of the things that does actually keep me going Coming back to Gradius Five after sixteen years now mm. since I first got the game is the soundtrack. Yeah, it, it's got an incredible uh, way of just driving you on, thinking that you can do a bit better, and and making you feel like you're you're en route to saving the universe yeah. <laughs> rather than just uh, it's it feels it it elevates the whole experience for me the 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 soundtrack and this track that that we open the show with. Uh, perhaps more than any other.
1: Yeah, yeah, I think so because it goes through so many stages, right? This track, like, uh, and and it's perfectly synced through the level progression as well. Yes. Yeah. Before you even get to the boss rush, which cycles through a number of tracks, nicely mixed together as well. Again. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's it's very uh, it's very Sakimoto, right? He did Radiant Silver Gun as well, the uh, score yes. for that, and of course uh, a bunch of uh, Japanese RPGs. So it's more that background rather than a traditional uh, yeah. shoot 'em up composer, like uh, Shinji Hoso, for example, or you know Manabu Namiki and, and those types. Coupled with the camera angles and the sort of the cinematic presentation of the game, mm. thanks to the 3D graphics, um, yeah, it's uh, it feels proper epic, like you said. Like uh, yeah, it, it definitely spurs you on.
0: Yeah, and I realize it. It won't do anything, and it means nothing. But I will say once again that although you can play Gradius 5 on original PS2 hardware, you can download it onto your PS3. I would, I would love for Konami to see fit to re-release this game on contemporary hardware upscale upscale the pixels a little bit make it a a little bit crisper sharper and shinier add on the new bolts you know bells and whistles of of a contemporary game online leaderboards and all that good stuff and uh it would be a an insta purchase for me
1: yeah um one thing that pains me when i look back at the footage of my streams is that uh the uh program obs that i used to stream through Mm. Sort of mangles the signal a little bit. Uh, right. The OSC already the OSC is fine, but it it needs to process an interlaced signal, which is not ideal because it creates a more um, unstable image. You know, it's the, mm. the the lines get a little bit swimmy. And then yes. once you run it through OBS and then you export it into a video to upload it to YouTube, it uh, it doesn't look as great anymore as it does on my Bang & Olufsen CRT. Yeah, <laughs> say the for least. sure. Yeah,
0: yeah. I I if I do play it now, I tend to play it on my a PC monitor which is a bit smaller than my uh, my full size gaming screen and it's 1080p rather than 4K yeah and it but it still has that sort of slightly lcd-ish look to it that mm. that means it doesn't ever quite resemble the original but uh, that's not to say that with work from a if they gave it to M2 or somebody like that they yeah. could have it looking absolutely sublime on contemporary hardware
1: Definitely yeah
0: Right as Usual for our regular format show, we've interspersed McKeel's picks with some selections from our wonderful community. The place to go is com slash forum. Find the Sound of Play folder thread and add your requests in there. Uh, we still have a fair old few in there, but <clears throat> we definitely always like some more, more variety, more stories behind the, the music that you pick. And uh, yeah, just all kinds of genres and eras of game. Uh, The more of those we get in, the longer we'll keep making the Sound of Play podcast. Here's a pick from a game that I personally have no experience of, but I do remember it existing as Mm. much as anything from the title. The title, well, the title we know it by and knew it by in Europe was sort of the berserk Guts Rage, which is entertaining enough in itself. (laughs) But but the original Japanese title is uh, translated, comes out as... Berserk Millennium Falcon Arc, Ooh. Chapter of the Flowers of Oblivion. Wow. That's some that subtitle moniker. makes
1: a, a little bit of sense because um, yeah. I think the uh, main enemies that you're fighting are sort of infected by a plant-like virus or something. They all appear oh. plant-like. Yeah. But the Berserk Millennium Falcon Arc, that's, uh, yeah. that's <laughs> puzzling.
0: Yeah, and possibly uh, copyright infringing as well. Just putting the words Millennium and Falcon next to each other yeah. would probably prick up the ears of Disney's lawyers. Yeah. So do you remember much more about Yuke's uh, uh, Dreamcast game?
1: No, I, um, I've i watched a couple of videos of it. Uh, I think I remember seeing an early Classic Game Room review of it as well. Uh-huh. And yeah, it looks interesting. I know of the Berserk manga, I've read a couple of, Pages of it. Uh, It's exceptionally brutal, sadistic, Mm. and gory. Um, And the game looked interesting, but I think it's it's one of those pre Devil May Cry three D action games, right? That I don't. I when I look at the footage, I don't feel compelled to look. Yeah, to 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 search it out and to looks a bit clunky. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. 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 With that sort of half half lock on and not. Right. You know, like similar. Sort of
0: yeah, can't combo patterns and that sort of thing. Yeah, I watched uh, a speed run of uh, Fromsoft's Otogi recently, oh, yeah. and uh, and that was a game that at the time was technically marvelous. And that's actually a, a post Devil May Cry game, but I think it's uh, it's aged in a similar similar fashion. Perhaps yeah, it's but
1: some- it, it's more it's more fluid. I think
0: Otogi mm-hmm. is.
1: Uh, I, I yeah. did revisit it not too long ago, and
0: it's still yeah. quite nice to play. I think. Mm, interesting. Hard to get hold of the Atogi games now, I believe. Yeah, I haven't, I haven't seen them around. Uh, I, I own them both at one stage, but um, probably got rid of them for not nearly enough money. Anyway, bringing it back around, this was uh, this piece was requested by Stalked by Cats from our forum, and uh, simply in praise of the composer says uh, Susumu hirosawa is pretty damn good. More video games should be scored by him. Let's uh, see if we agree by listening to Indra. the Dreamcast days of 1999 and sort of the Berserk Guts Rage. I don't think we even mentioned that game on our Dreamcast special, possibly. It's oh, wow. that much of a deep cut. And I, and I uh, thought you guys mentioned
1: pretty much everything that came
0: out on the Dreamcast. We tried. <laughs> it, it may have got a name check, but I think possibly it was one of those that none of us had much experience of. Yeah. I don't think the, the reviews at the time were especially kind to it. Uh, in the West, certainly, I expect I expect it got more respect in Japanese could be yeah. reviews, but I imagine it's one of those titles that left a lot of Western uh, reviewers a little bit nonplussed. <laughs> what an interesting piece of music, though, picked by stock by cats. It uh, yeah. reminds me
1: of sort of a Japanese take on cl- something like Planet. Right.
0: Yeah. Yeah, that <laughs> makes sense. There's sort of uh, Japanese folk infused. Yeah. But as always with so much japanese video game music it grabs little bits of all kinds of genres Mm. and pulls them together in in interesting ways yeah good stuff we're staying in japan for our next piece uh and it's another shoot 'em up from the konami stable so uh but this particular piece i i wasn't aware so i've played some parodius over the years Mm. uh, and it's possible that we'll do a a parodius series on the on the podcast at some stage on the Kane and Rince show, yeah. but uh, there are a lot of, of entries and this piece of music I'd never heard before. I'm, right. I'm curious as to the story behind it because, frankly, is it legal? <laughs> <laughs> Maybe they got the rights for it. Cause it so, it's such a note-for-note note rip. Yeah,
1: I mean, they should have gotten the rights for it. If Otherwise, they would have been sued to
0: Oblivion already. But the title do, and the Sunshine doesn't, Band, no less. That's right. But the title doesn't suggest.
1: No, it doesn't say that's the way. No, exactly. It says, I remember <laughs> that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, the parodia series feature very little in the way of original compositions anyway, right? Yeah. There's a lot of um, classical music and uh, public domain stuff in there. Right. And the history behind that is that... The first Parodius on the MSX, they just didn't have time to get music composed for the game. So they just grabbed a bunch of public domain stuff. And then people <laughs> liked it that. so much. It was so clownesque. People liked it so much that it became a staple for the, for the, the whole series, that they right. just sort of kept that up as a tradition.
0: It's pretty hilarious when yeah. used uh, in, in that context. Uh, I remember playing the second, I think it's Fantastic Journey, is the English translation of the... The game on the that was on the Saturn and PS1, yeah, and it was a lot of yeah, classical and marching band music, and yeah, yeah like Colonel Bogey and all that kind of stuff,
1: yeah, yeah, exactly. That was, I think that was uh, Fantastic Journey it was probably the Western arcade version of Gokujo Parodius or Ultimate Parodius, or sounds.
0: maybe it was this
1: one, yeah, sounds likely,
0: so yeah, uh. As with a lot of Konami games at the time, they're credited the the, the audio to Konami Kukeha Club. Yeah. Uh, a number of uh, talented coders and, and musician types would have worked on this. But of course, yeah, they are they are, they are are taking um, a, a piece from the charts of the, when was the original? Mid, late 70s? 70s, yeah. Yeah. Uh, and pretty much ever since That's the Way, Uh-huh, Uh-huh, I Like It came out, it's just everywhere yeah. like that that song must have just made so much money for the for the composers yeah uh because it's like it's just used on so much stuff yeah um it's uh, you hear it it's chanted at football grounds you know as repurposed as, as a football chant and all that kind of thing yeah uh there was a a guy um me and my friends used to play a lot of pool in pubs back in the the nineties and two thousands, and there was this local. There's this local character. I don't know if he's still around. Uh, he was a, I think he was Thai uh, guy called Mister Leck. Mm. That's all he was known by. Nobody ever called him by his first name. He was Mister Leck, <laughs> and he was a character. Uh, liked to drink and uh, was uh, you know like did some uh, authentic cuisine in whichever pub he was working in at the time. Sometimes we would go and play. Pool at the pub that he was cooking at, and he would take us on at pool. And he was hilarious. Uh, but as well as his catchphrase of "sexy shot," <laughs> um, he would also sometimes uh, between shots do a little. Uh, That's the way. Uh huh. Uh huh. I like it. And yeah. uh, what a legend! Yeah, Mr. Sounds Le- like it. <laughs> he yelled so his own special move. <laughs> he did sexy shot. Um, so we're going to hear the these PS one and Saturn arrange, yeah. as as per they would have uh, presumably made on higher end synths and uh, and had as red book audio possibly or or a yeah. higher definition audio file. But the original version was for Super Famicom. Have yeah. you heard that version as well?
1: Yeah, I, I actually listened back to it because last year I after we did the greatest podcast, I went on a little bit of a Konami Saturn shooter buying spree so i got all the yeah. parodius games i got the uh, salamander deluxe pack as well and uh yeah this just really jumped out to me when i started playing jikyo oshaberi parodius which also is known as chatting paro- parodius right it's <laughs> the one where there's a, a dude shouting at you all the time throughout the whole game which <laughs> <laughs> <So laughs> i don't know if it's more hilarious when you don't speak japanese or when you do speak japanese i suspect it's a letter but it's already pretty <laughs> hilarious um and this really jumped out to at me, it's, uh, it's a track from the uh, opening stage, which incidentally is very disco-themed. It has big disco balls and you see the little penguins running around with, with afros on and there's a DJ booth in there and, and all that stuff. And yeah, so the original J.K. Oshaberi parodies was uh, not... It didn't start in the arcades, but it was a uh, Super Famicom original before it was yeah. ported to the PS1 and the Saturn. Mm-hmm. So the original track, I listened back to that. Uh, and it sounds pretty good, you know. The Super Nintendo was already pretty decent with sampled sounds and all that. But yeah. the Super Famicom track is actually sounds a lot more sexual in that cheeky parodious <laughs> way. There's a lot of those sampled uh, female <laughs>
0: moaning and groaning sounds interspersed to it. You know that downed yeah.
1: back a little bit for the arranged version.
0: Maybe we should play. Maybe we should play them both right now.
1: Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I just picked the Saturn version because that's the one that really got me when i started playing the game but yeah it's, uh, it's it's just it's glorious that moment when you start playing it and that funk break kicks in that you feel like uh you're you're in for a great time
0: that I literally do <laughs> from, uh, from the PlayStation 1 and Saturn arranged version of Jikyu Parodius. Uh that reminds me actually thinking of the way they've purposed that tune uh, and I think we may have something about this coming up on a future Sound of Play but I recently played through Sumo Digital's Sackboy A Big Adventure mm. uh, which was a, a Christmas present from my generous in-laws and they uh they've done the thing which uh Rayman Legends did before which is to have some levels which are based fundamentally around existing music mm, tracks right uh and you've got uh i can't remember all of them now cuz there's i think there's one per world um but there's uptown funk and let's dance by david bowie right and uh and a few others uh all uh oh uh, jungle boogie by cool and the gang
1: that sounds interesting
0: uh, uh, and they're, they're really fun, but also some of the other levels that aren't, they, they those levels have got the kind of uh, synchronization with the music. So platforms will be pulsing and flip, flipping in and out based on the beat of the music and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. But there's some other levels where they've simply just taken uh, unusual covers. I don't know whether they've taken them or had them created of existing pop tr- uh, tracks. So there's like an orchestral version of Material Girl, um and uh, a a folk sort of recorder version of Depeche Mode's "Just Can't Get Enough" and stuff like that. So, uh, all that was really really enjoyable. So, yeah, it's, it's yeah. Fun, funny how how effective the use of cover uh, covers can be in uh, in in games. And, yeah, it uh, can definitely work. It's about one of the ways that we'll we'll kind of circumnavigate the uh, the licensed music. Uh, Semi-rule we have in this podcast.
1: And I remember that. uh, I think it's a pretty spiffy remix, actually.
0: Yeah. And it sounds funny. It Uh, does. Next up, we have a request from Halo Fandango. I think Halo is known to you. Yeah. yeah,
1: Yeah. I I knew him uh, as Howard before... uh, That's right. Before I knew him as Halo Fandango,
0: yeah. Your buddy. Uh, This is a selection from the 2013 to... Well, 2017, I think it lasted. The yeah. the Xbox One incarnation of Killer Instinct. Halo says, To choose one piece from this outstanding soundtrack is almost impossible, but I'd like to submit The Dragon Spirit, which is Kim Woo's theme from Killer Instinct 2013. She's a very visually striking character, what with her fiery nunchucks and Chinese dragons that float around her. The music is an amazing fusion between Asian traditional instrumentation and western metal styles and just hits you as soon as the song starts. From Atlas Plug and Cell Dweller, this is The Dragon Spirit. was Kim Woo's theme from Killer Instinct, which was uh, originally put together uh, with a little help from Rare, I believe, Mm. for Microsoft by Double Helix. Yeah. But then it was uh, taken over by the Iron Galaxy folks. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, there's a very interesting
1: documentary on YouTube about Killer Instinct. And maybe it wasn't Rare that helped them, but it was Ken Lobb who... Used sure. to work at Nintendo yeah. at the time of the original Killer Instinct, and he was overseeing that project, so he helped yes. out with this one as well. That
0: makes sense. I'm pretty sure there was a rare logo, but that obviously could be uh, original characters, exactly, by and that kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, now Killer Instinct was never my jam, <clears throat> really. Um, I always thought the. I remember seeing the original arcade machine and thinking it looked incredible at yeah. the time. Uh, and I was then salivating was, over that. Yeah, the uh, the graphics were really uh, striking back in '94. Mm-hmm. I guess the arcade version hit. Then there was the rather cut down but very successful SNES version, which I didn't get. Then there were obviously the N64 yeah. version, and each time it was a little less impressive. And now exactly. I've got the uh, you know the sort of the arcade perfect versions on on Xbox One as a kind of history tool, uh, which came with this. Now, I did play some of this uh, and it was, I mean, it was an impressive package, but I think it was it was when fighting games were uh, kind of moving into the season pass kind of territory. So yeah. it always felt like there was something more that I had to buy to get more characters and, and it put me off a little bit. But actually, I think it had a solid following for a while, even in the competitive scene, didn't it?
1: Oh, yeah. Yeah. There's a very dedicated uh diehard scene for it uh the documentary will show you about that as well right. and i think it's a it's a very deep fighting game uh it has uh excellent tutorials there's a lot to mm, like there i got yes. the i got the complete version in a sale pretty much somewhere in 2018 yeah. or 19 or something uh it's just like it's another fighting game that you really have to invest a lot of time yeah. in and that for me that only works if i have a have a group of friends together that i can yeah. play it versus you know so it's there you know i'm happy to have it in my library and to have access sure. to it but it's unlikely yeah. that i spend will spend
0: as much time with it as is warranted yeah exactly but yeah. fun to stick it on sometime look at the uh, pretty yeah, for certainly for xbox 1 era some yeah. uh, some darn fine visuals yeah. and yeah as as halo requested there uh, it's got some some pretty outstanding and and well-produced music as well.
1: Mick Gordon did a lot of the OST, I believe. That's right. Yeah. yeah. And I suggest you, maybe you you have already, but I suggest you go back to the old Killing Instinct games, especially the first one. Mm. To me, they're a lot more fun to play nowadays than the older Mortal Kombat games, for example. Okay. It might just be the fact that they control more like Street Fighter with six buttons and holding back the Mm. block, and similar kind of special movement. Yeah, inputs. that does help. <laughs> um, but I, th- I, and but even at the time, I thought they already played
0: better for me personally than. Yeah, uh, more there, the there was games. there was definitely uh, there was definitely a satisfaction to it, and I think yeah for those who learned those long, long strings of combos yeah. it was it was obviously hugely satisfying, yeah but it was one of those games where if you're on the receiving end of yeah. somebody decent, you don't even get to play really well so-
1: the thing was with um killer instinct is that you had the combo breaker, of course, so you could break yeah. out of those combo chains, so they did keep that in mind as well it's it's a very even the old games i mean the new one knocks it out of the park in terms of
0: death. But I think even the old ones were very smartly designed already. Yeah. Killer Instinct, perhaps uh, the subject of a future Kane and Rince podcast. We might need to find somebody who's, you know, a bit of a a, a tatsujin of, of those yeah. games uh, to join us. Because, yeah, definitely not me. <laughs> let's uh, let's bring up Ken Lobb. Ken Lobb himself. <laughs> yeah. Not sure if Darren ever worked with uh, directly with Ken back in the day we're going to stay with flailing fists of fire and other fighting type phrases with our next pick. Uh, so Mikhail, uh from 2020, finally it happened. Yeah. There was a true non fan made and completed and released sequel to the streets of rage trilogy. Yeah. that We covered on the Cana Rince podcast some time ago. Uh, I know you waited a little uh, longer than most of us. uh, Two months. Two months Two months for a physical copy.
1: But it felt like a long time because uh, we were in the middle of a corona lockdown and everybody was talking about this game. So it felt longer than two months.
0: Yeah, I don't actually own it. I just played it on Game Pass so far. I'm sure I'll buy a copy at some point, but uh, I didn't didn't need to. It's sitting right there on my account the whole time. Yeah. Uh, But you waited and... we're going to cover this. We can now say that because oh, yeah. all, all the details right. are out there. We're going to talk about this in uh, Kane and Rince. I don't have the uh, the podcast number to hand, but at some point in 2021, we're going to talk all about Streets for Rage 4 and how we feel it, it did. So let's focus on the music. So they kind of grabbed together a bit of a kind of super group of contributors for, yeah. for the audio for this one.
1: Yeah, because uh, as soon as this game was announced, and people started turning around to it a little bit after the shock of the uh, new visual style. Right. Uh, people were uh, constantly bugging the developers. Get Yuzu Gushiro. yeah, Get Yuzu Koshiro. You know, you need Naturally. Yuzu Koshiro for this series. Otherwise, it's just not Streets of Rage. Yeah. And they got Yuzu Koshiro, And they got a couple of other people. I think Manami Matsuma is on there as well on the OST. Yep. Mm-hmm. But funnily enough, even though all this stuff was really good ending, ending up on the game, it was maybe um, a piece by a relative newcomer Olivier
0: Deriviere, that mm. stuck the most with me. It's interesting. So, uh I yeah I, I I like a lot of the tracks on the game. I think I'm I'm not 100% sold on the sort of the switch up in composers and styles compared to the original but maybe I'll make p- more peace with that the more I the more I play it. But this wasn't personally for me one of the pieces that I really kind of found stood out. So what what, what is it about this piece for you that Kind of says Streets of Rage four. Oh, it doesn't, but it's still the piece of music that stuck out the most to me. I see, I see. <laughs> <laughs> and why?
1: It yeah. When you listen to it, it actually does feel a little bit like the odd duck out, right? Right. But yeah, and it's too too twenty first century synth wavy for it hmm. to fi- really feel like part of the can- or, or the Kena can- I said of the Streets <laughs> of Rage yeah. canon, and. Yeah. But it's just that melody, you know, in the towards the, the the latter half of the track, it starts out a little bit more streets of rage, typical, but then it really evolves into this rich synth wave track, mm. and just that melody is irresistible to me, and then you're on that elevator kicking dudes down the elevator shaft, always good. with these heavy synth chords playing. and um, yeah, just it came together for me at that moment, even though it's not as streets of rage. Streets of Rage, like you probably you know could have yeah. wanted. Hmm. So with the, all the other tracks, they evoke the series much more. Yeah, but and as good as they are, they don't really stuck with me. Hmm. They felt like uh, decent homages. A lot of the other tracks, sure,
0: yeah, fair enough.
1: Quality, quality, but nothing that really you know that I
0: really found myself humming later on. Right, well, let's see what the listener thinks this will be rising up by Olivia Derviette. Olivier than Olivier, yeah. but I like, I like to try and make his name rhyme. Yeah. <laughs> we feature quite a few of his pieces over the, the last few years on Sound of Play. He seems to be able to turn his, turn his hand to a number of genres, which must make him a very valuable asset to, uh, to video game development teams. Yeah. That from Streets of Rage 4 then uh, by Guard Crush and Lizard Cube. You can play that on, any of the last gen machines and indeed the two or three <laughs> new gen machines, because that's how it works now. Yeah. Finally, <laughs> You don't even need a, a separate release anymore. No, uh, I don't think it's a game that would necessarily uh, get a uh, a new gen upgrade. I don't think it really needs it. No. Uh, yeah. Streets of Rage 4 then. Look out for our Kana Rinse podcast later this year. Another game that we're going to be covering on Kana Rince in 2021, while it's still relatively fresh, is Final Fantasy VII Remake. Uh, we've internally, we thrashed it out and uh, enough of the people who played it were adamant that it is a game in its own right, a complete work. And, uh, and certainly there's enough of it to cover uh, on a single podcast and who knows when we'll see any more of it, if indeed, <laughs> if there is any more of it. Uh, but yeah, it's interesting. It's come at a strange time, this, in that it came right at the end of that generation. And now presumably the rest of it, if there is a rest of it, uh, is going to be released for PS5 at least and possibly beyond. <laughs> um, uh, maybe they'll do an update for the PS4 version of of the game that's out there now and, and uh, soup it up some. But it is, uh, nevertheless, I've played a little of it and uh, another Christmas present from a generous relative. Um, It is another uh, high-end, expensive-looking AAA kind of production. Obviously, there was some consternation among fans about certain elements of it, none of which we'll go into here story-wise or anything like that. But obviously, one of the the key parts is the fact that all the music, or a lot of the music, is... uh, based around heavily around uh, pieces that were from uh, nobuo umatsu's original work including this one you'll hear uh, echoes of the famous battle theme that many people have heard many times it's actually dom's beard who requested this one and says i didn't particularly enjoy the character however his theme is uh, superb a superb fast-paced piece of music i don't know how you pronounce it i think it's I think it's Roche, but it yeah. might be Roche or I would, Roche. I would pronounce it the French way, yeah. Roche. Yeah, Roche. <laughs> uh, so I haven't got that far yet, obviously. Uh, but it's also subtitled Ignition Flame. And as I say, you'll hear echoes of Uematsu in there. But the composers for this one are Mas- uh, Masashi, Hamaozu and Mitsuto Suzuki. 2020's Final Fantasy VII Remake, the much-anticipated first chunk of whatever it's going to turn out to be from Square Enix. So, Mikil, I know you're generally not much of an uh, RPG guy, not much of a JRPG guy. I'm curious, though, because Final Fantasy VII Remake, actually, although it does still have a lot of uh, sort of, gameplay elements of a traditional jrpg it kind of isn't as well it's the the combat is very kind of yeah. tactile 3d actiony exactly based.
1: um i'm not much of a fan of traditional jrpgs in the rotest sense yeah um but i like the ones that sort of you know are more experimental and wonder of the beaten track uh, i was uh very fond of Tales of Vesperia, when we covered that, for example. Of course. Uh, yeah. And there's some other oddball JRPGs that I really like, like uh, Residents of Fate with this sort of gun ballet, uh-huh. half real time, half turn based uh, combat mm. in there. And um, I have to say, even though I would probably never play the original Final Fantasy VII, the remake, because of its more dynamic combat system and what, you know, the exploration aspects of it do. Yeah
0: make a more attractive proposition for me. Yeah. Another game we're covering this year that uh, I need to get cracking on because it's that long, even though it won't be for some months away, is uh, Xenoblade Chronicles as well. Yeah. which That's uh, another
1: one that I really enjoyed,
0: what I played yeah, it with. Yeah. Yeah. I can, I can imagine that being your bag for sure.
1: Yeah.
0: Fun times, uh, never lacking for things to play, of course. Sink hours on anything. Yeah. yeah. For sure. And yeah, immerse oneself in those soundtracks, many of which are available, of course, to buy. Uh, We we don't uh, charge you for this podcast, but as always, if you love the music, we recommend that you uh, seek it out in official capacities. Okay, this next one, I am fairly nonplussed by. So explain what we're going to be hearing and why.
1: Yeah, so it's One of those shoot 'em up centric accounts that I follow on Twitter it could be Elixir, uh, that mm. posted about super zigs on launch day. That was, oh, yeah, uh, la- it that. launched that week <laughs> and it was, uh, it had a discount attached to it immediately, like a launch discount, uh, on Steam by a, a developer or a publisher or developer team called Team Gry of Fox. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was looking at it, hey, this looks like Neo-Zix on, uh, on the the Neo-Geo, you know, by NG Dev Team and the Dreamcast, that one. Oh, I see. Like a, a, a very strong total plan homage type of vertical shooter. Mm-hmm. Um, and I pronounce it Super-Zix because the developer has pretty much said, like, yeah, part of the fun of this name is trying to, you know, seeing how people actually pronounce it. That They, they <laughs> didn't have an actual pronunciation in mind when they thought of the title. Uh, People say Super XYX or Super Zykasu.
0: Yeah, yeah. for those who aren't aware, there were a lot of games, well, I say a lot, but there were a number of games back in the day that used various combinations of letters along these lines. Yeah, it's a bit metal as
1: well, right? Like the band Sticks or something like that. Sure,
0: and you would just see the marquee or the title screen in the arcade and you would be like... Zezex, yeah. XXX, <laughs> exactly, Xezex, X-Z- X-Z- and Zerxes, yeah, Xerxes. It was, uh, yeah. It was uh, Zizix, yeah, yeah. It was fun just to just to try to work that stuff out. Yeah, if the game didn't shout it at you, you just had to make a best guess.
1: Yeah, exactly. So my my pronunciation, my personal pronunciation is uh, pronunciation is super Ziggs, but it. I actually tweeted at the developer like, "What is the deal with this game?" Because the NG Dev team made a similar looking game called Neo Ziggs. And they said, like, yeah, that was an adaptation by NG Dev Team of a game that was already made by the original developer, uh, Gryzor, who started out uh, using programs like Blastworks on the Wii and um, Desimon on the on the Saturn, like, build-your-own-shooter, that, that right. type of software, you know? and And basically, what... Everything that he had developed up to that point, he gave to NG Dev Team to make Neo 6, and they discarded certain elements, and they took other elements on board. But then this is his full realized vision of this uh, this game. So it's uh, definitely a little bit different. And from what I've seen of Neo 6, I think I prefer the, the super version as well. It's more fast-paced. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, it's just... Uh, I've seen some more dynamic game overall. So it came out
0: on Steam. Yeah. yeah, and what what kind of uh, OST did they go for? Have they gone for the uh, well, well? We'll hear some, but uh, is it is it is this representative of the whole thing? Are we are we going to hear metal or electronica or classical or what?
1: Uh, it's that typical um, late '80s slash Mega Drive synthetic metal. Marvelous. Yeah, so it's. Uh, Composer my
0: favorite kind of metal possibly.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. I, I like the sounds of the the, the synth-driven metal stuff. Yeah. Those, uh, Thunder Force
0: 4 immediately comes to mind.
1: Exactly. It's that sort of thing. But then on the Toeplan end of the spectrum, as the, the game is very much visually inspired by uh, Toeplan's work during that time. Yeah. And the composer Karina, she worked on a tracker, a chiptune tracker called Deflamask. Which is actually it emulates the uh, FM synth stylings of um, yeah late '80s arcade boards and the Mega Drive, and it's um, compatible with those. So you can actually uh, replay the music on actual hardware when you uh, sort of use like tricky stuff like uh, SD card readers and, and modifications and things like nice. that. Yeah, and yeah, she def- definitely channels her um, inner. Tatsuya Uemura on this one. It sounds so tall plan.
0: And why stage two? Is this as far as you've got?
1: <laughs> no, it's it's the one that really That's her original composition. I think stage one was an adaptation from one of the composers for Neo 6. Um and yeah, it just really jumped out at me. Um Yeah, and this music is not on YouTube, so I had to reach out to the composer actually to get a hold of this uh this track. And she was Kind enough to just send me a Bandcamp download link for the complete OST, so she, yeah, Fantastic. I could just download that. And uh, yeah, really excellent work.
0: Thanks, Karina. Well, let's enjoy this piece as provided by the composer, War-Torn Land. <laughs> Super XYX or Zigs or Zix or Zikes or <laughs> I'm trying to think of other ways that you could actually say that.
2: Yeah.
0: Uh, War Torn Land. You can play that game if you buy it from Steam. It's only uh, £7.19 in English money. Yeah. So I guess about eight euros or ten dollars, something like that. It's a good Has deal. Has positive, positive reviews. Yeah.
1: Yeah, it ended up in a couple of uh, top ten lists for uh, best shoot 'em ups released in
0: 2020. And uh, there are more than you realize that get released every year. I know. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. The fans always keep the scene alive. And because of the nature of development now and the fact that we're all, well, for those of us of a certain bent are more than happy to play games that look like games from yeah. 10, 20, 30 years ago. They will just keep on coming forever. Exactly. <laughs> and a lot of those
1: developers are enthusiasts themselves and they just want to make, make the games that they would like to play.
0: Of course. Now, something very different uh, musically and gameplay wise, puzzle games of the mid 2000s then is uh, is our latest port of call. I have actually featured some music from uh, the Bejeweled series before because, well, it gets requested and I really like it. It's that usually tends to be that really crystalline uh, synthesizer, slightly throwback stuff. Mm. sounds a bit like um tv game show music but in you know in a good way not in not in a cheesy way right. in a in a in a sort of high tech intriguing kind of way mm. uh wishy washy requests this who says uh, the finnish composer peter hyber i've never been sure about the pronunciation but luckily peter goes by the name of skaven created a fabulous unintrusive soundtrack that worms its way into your subconscious over the hours and hours and hours of playtime. Listening to the track now, I can almost hear the booming level-complete voice. Cleverly, this game's main music tracks aren't level-specific, but instead bleed between the different puzzle screens and perform subtle mid-level crossfades as you progress. Skaven worked quite extensively for PopCap and was therefore at the forefront of the much-maligned but incredibly profitable casual mobile game phenomena. Outside of PopCap, Skaven's career is quite interesting, having worked on the sound and graphics for Remedy Entertainment's Max Payne 1 and 2, Alan Wake and its expansion American Nightmare. Mm. He also composed a couple of tracks for the first Unreal Tournament. But forget all that stuff and praise the man for his compositional work on hamster ball and foxy poker. (laughs) According to his bio, American Nightmare was uh, was the last game he worked on back in 2012, which is a shame. Fret not, though, as he is alive and kicking on Facebook, and his work can be found on SoundCloud, Mixery, and Bandcamp. The piece we're going to hear is from Padul Two, and it's called Autonomous Version Two. <laughs> 2004 from the man who brought you the music of hamster ball which i have played mm. because it was a uh it was a, a playstation plus pick right. back in the back in the ps3 days incredible and it's a it's a really mediocre uh monkey ball clone
1: yeah that's what i figured
0: yeah. <laughs> nice idea. Glad somebody went, ran with the monkey ball mantle, but uh yeah. yeah, it wasn't yeah. It it was uh It wasn't it the was spiritual no,
1: sequel that we
0: uh in no, uh were craving no. for. It was it was yeah, possibly not even as uh, as close as some of Sega's efforts. Mm. But anyway, let's not dunk on hamster ball <laughs> because uh Skaven, yeah, clearly has worked on a bunch of uh, uh cool soundtracks. Have you ever had any uh have you we don't believe in guilty pleasures, but have you ever had any uh, find yourself found yourself sucked into casual puzzle gaming or anything Not like that?
1: Really, um, I did at one point have to do a little bit of localization and testing work right. on a sort of um, Candy Crush like game, but with cookies instead of candy, uh, uh-huh. and I could feel it pulling at me a little bit you know <laughs> you <laughs> liked could, it more could, than you hated it yeah exactly you- i i hated uh, i hated that i liked it yeah <laughs> <laughs> you could uh you could you can see why people really get sucked into stuff like this and when you yeah. when you do it's inevitable that you de- develop um a relationship with the with the soundtrack as well of course of course yeah
0: yeah yeah unless uh, uh, I, I think one of the uh, obviously we've had quite a few mobile game composers on this show over the years um, and one of the one of the things that sort of concerns me about game composers is that from their point of view like they know that plenty of people do listen to their music of course in, in the case of mm. sort of Chinese mobile RPGs potentially millions of people yeah but also uh, I think a lot of people will often. Uh, have their own audio while they're playing on a lot of games. That's true. Uh, uh, but yes, I don't think there's there's no danger that um, companies who make these kind of games would give up on having their own besco- bespoke soundtracks. Because mm. I think a lot of people do get really into it.
1: Yeah. And, yeah, of course, these composers never get the critical acclaim or recognition for the work they do for games like this.
0: No, that's right. Yeah, yeah.
1: You don't see them being brought... In front of the stage on the uh, Game Awards or anything like that?
0: No, not so much. Which, uh, which I think is, yeah, possibly a bit unfair. Um, yeah. Because yeah, when they when somebody like Skaven sat down to write music for Bejeweled Two, he was taking it no doubt every bit as seriously and, and yeah. putting as much work and thought into it as any uh, as any kind of piece from any story based story driven AAA kind of you know adventure game or whatever. Yeah. So, yes, that's why we share such pieces on this very show, because we like them. Uh, So remains for me, Leon, to thank Michiel and our community contributors. Please do, as I say, keep your requests coming in. The more we've got, the more interesting a show we can make. Uh, As I say, com slash forum. And as always, I emphasize music from all genres, all platforms, all eras. We love it. The more eclectic, the merrier. Uh, and, yeah, if you've got a story behind why you've picked a, a piece of music, that's the best when you've got, like, an actual memory attached to it or a set of memories. Or sometimes, as I've said before, it can be a piece that you don't particularly like. You just think it's really interesting hmm. or may, maybe even terrible. Like, maybe you hate it. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> only, <laughs> that's interesting The only thing too. is you'll have to make other people listen to it. Yeah. Well, think about that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> also, thanks to Editor Jay, as always and well our final piece today is from an arcade machine from a long long time ago yeah from the snk lineage this is one that i do remember and i did play a bit uh, after ikari warriors and victory road and guerrilla war yeah came pow prisoners of war yeah which was uh, a slight is side scrolling rather than top down yeah it's uh, more
1: double dragon like actually it's a beat em up yes. yeah
0: uh, it it but recently, so, but SNK was
1: making a lot of war-themed games around that they time. They did love their war-themed yeah, games. Of only course, all in um, different genres, so it w- several were yeah. shooters. But then this is a beat 'em up.
0: And of course, their uh, their earlier the, the war-based games were actually was it, it's, it's Che and um, the the Guerrilla War game was actually based on Che Guevara. Wasn't yeah, it, it was supposed true. to be like a, a Che Guevara game. Yeah, uh, che Guevara Simulator. Yeah, which is pretty weird when you think about it. <laughs> Uh, but these a lot of these games saw the light of day again a couple of years ago on the uh the excellent SNK uh anniversary collection, yeah. including this one. So I have been back to this one in recent times. Have you been uh emulating this or or uh I also played it, it on out? that.
1: The reason why I picked this is uh for our yes. first numbered episode of uh, Video Wizards, um, a podcast that me and Ben Cartlidge started in 2020. Um, it was about February 1989 and we always do this sort of arcade roundup section in which we pick See six titles, exactly yeah. what would have likely been in arcades as well around the time yes. of uh, of release. Uh, POW was one that stuck out and at the end of that section, it was the last game we discussed in there, I picked a piece of music to edit in as a transition and I was just struck by this theme because... I remember POW from the arcades back in the days, Mm. but it's often that um, in many cases the music doesn't really jump out because of the cacophony going on on the arcade floor, right? But it just jumped out of out to me what a hectic and relentless composition this was. It goes through, it jumps from one bridge to the next one. Then there's a little bit of an anthemic sort of melody in there that recalls militaristic fanfare, but then again it immediately Jumps back into another bridge, and these sequences follow each other up with a, a relentless pay, pace, really sort of stressing the urgency of you are this prisoner of war that has to <laughs> Billy Bear hand your way out of a cell, out of a, <laughs> out of a out of a Viet Cong prisoner camp, and you know towards freedom. It's completely insane, and yeah, I just it, this piece really stuck to me, like just how how incredibly relentless it is.
0: I love the way how. Billy Bear Hands has now become <laughs> <laughs> a, a way of describing somebody using uh, hand-to-hand combat. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, listener, uh, thanks again, Mikhail. You're welcome. And we will leave you with this piece from 1988 by uh, Toshikazu Tanaka and/or Yoko Osaka and/or Kazuhiro Nishida from POW, Prisoners of War, and we'll see you next time, of course, on Sound of Play.